I am still considering, even after your, uh, I'm going to affectionately call it a warning, Dan, uh, that Raspberry Pi OS started in 2012. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> as soon as I dig it up, it's going to be like, turns out 2006 and... Yeah, somebody was thinking about it, right? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that's how Endless was too. I mean, like oh, the first absolutely. year is just a thought is what it was. But anyway. Well, a lot of them were that way though too because remember CentOS was kind of that way too. Ah, uh, true. And Ubuntu was too, right? It was yeah. uh, in a flat in 20 whatever it was, you know. Yep. And then they yeah. broke up and then they came back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the super secret Debian project. That that, that yeah, was yeah. that was mm-hmm. so clever. Anyway, um I against your warning, Dan, I still you still want to do that. Coming up in this episode, the never-ending history, a Cassidy James experience, and we go berry picking. Welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Leo. And I'm Dan. Dan, 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 can you believe that I forgot to say something on the last topic episode? Well, it, it amazes me that you forgot to say something. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. I, I do say a lot of things. <laughs> it's all good, man. <laughs> but not this thing. And it was actually one of my favorite things to come out. And I missed it somehow. Definitely. I'm surprised you didn't say something. I I used it even prior to the episode, uh, and I enjoyed it prior to the episode, but somehow, somehow, I did not remember to mention it. So, Vivaldi. Vivaldi got the scrolling fix. They Mm. they got the scrolling fix in 5.7, which we talked about last episode, but I failed to mention that they got the Chromium scrolling fixes squarely targeted at Linux, which makes using Vivaldi, such a better experience. Mm, 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 mm. I absolutely love it. So, yeah, that's it. Just uh, much ado about, now it scrolls good. Yes, yeah, smooth. <laughs> it's smooth. So, yeah, that's what I'm we like. so excited about it. Now I can really try Vivaldi and give it a fair shake yeah. instead of being endlessly, endlessly <laughs> frustrated <laughs> that it scrolls too slow. So happy. Yeah. Absolutely happy. So, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll hear more probably on the next topic episode about uh, Vivaldi and uh, how that shook out. So stay tuned for that. Until then. Uh-huh. So, so I've been messing around a little bit. Actually, Norbert um, from our Telegram group, He's in a couple of groups, but he's in Telegram, was talking about this little nook that he bought. And he he was looking to, I don't know, like run some home lab type things on them. And, and, and so, this is on that, that, that Intel next unit of computing, yeah, which is little, really just like uh like a Lenovo ThinkPad mini and the the HP minis and yep. like they had to give it some kind of crazy name to differentiate to it, it 
It's just a tiny box. It's a tiny yeah. computer. That's all it yeah. is. <laughs> We're just talking about these little one liter uh, PCs. Uh, that's, you know, they're like one cubic liter. They are uh, in size, so they're small. Um, actually, you know, I I can't. I'd hold it up, but it's plugged in and running right now. I just moved mine. I would have. I would have picked up my Think Center. It it yeah. really is about this big. It really it, and and it's this thin. Um, Nux are probably it's thinner than my Raspberry Pi in the case. Oh, right. And it's probably like four of yeah them. four four pies stacked four, in uh, four, in a little yeah, square square yeah yeah and and about. Half the thickness, almost. Right, um, but probably at least four times the performance, at oh, least for sure. And so it's a, it's a you know x eighty six sixty four bit machine. So wide so, compatibility. Wide compatibility. So I I I recently picked up a couple HP uh, minis, and so these aren't like brandy new; they're refurbished units. And so I decided to set up Proxmox on mine, you know, after the inspiration. Mm-hmm. So really cool stuff. Um, obviously, Proxmox is a virtualization, you know, engine they call it. Um, and uh, I know, I know you run VMware. Okay, don't 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 say that too loud. That's proprietary software. You're gonna get me in trouble. Well, I mean, I, I we run that at work too, so I'm familiar <laughs> with it. I get it. Um, little different setup there, though. Um, obviously at home, I, I not going to run a full enterprise uh, off of you know what i've got here but i thought it would be neat to set up a little cluster of two no- little two node cluster i guess it's not really a cluster but i mean it's a, a little two node you know what set, you could just call Proxmox. it failover or something right i mean you know close it's, enough it's it's almost not even so much for failover as i can um shuffle things around and do maintenance on one and then shuffle them back and then you know it's it's a little bit of a manual process but it gives me a couple of machines to be able to migrate things around so i can do updates and upgrades that right there is probably um any admin's dream right just having mm-hmm. like plug and play replacement hardware for whatever explodes that day right i mean downtime is almost nothing at that point yeah so even if it's a minute or two it's like no big whoop right Right. People people are calling you after you got the stuff back up and you can say, uh, I've tested it. It's working, I don't, I don't see the problem. I don't, uh, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you got to be sneaky. What allows you to do some of that is that I have shared storage. So I'm using my TrueNAS, uh, you know, NAS. Oh. And so um, they're sharing the storage. So the, the, the machine is just doing the compute bits and then i'm using nask for the storage and now uh, how how fast a connection do we have between the so NAS? i'm only one gig right i'm on a okay. little one gig switch it's not 10 gig it's nothing nothing real fancy but i'm not running anything big and fancy either we're gonna have a whole episode about the fiber upgrade that you do in a, in a while <laughs> not with these i'm not because they <laughs> they only got four cores and they're like you know 16 gig of ram in them which is not terrible but it's not you know it's not a barn burner. It it works fine for what I want. I just need I need that three second boot, Dan. That's that's oh, what yeah. I need. That's the it threshold is SSD. Now. So I mean, it is fast. <laughs> I mean, in that regard, I'm only running a couple of things. I'm, I've got Docker on on uh, a VM, you know, Ubuntu VM, which is great, and I can run some services locally here, and that's kind of cool. But here's where I'm going to sell you, Leo. 
here's where I'm going to sell you on Proxbox. Before we got to this point, I want to I wanna bring everybody in. I have tasked Dan um, with selling me on Proxmox. Uh, as Dan mentioned before, I am using the proprietary solution of um, VMware ESXi. You get one free license. You can run it on any box you want, just about, uh, as long as you ignore all the warnings when you're installing right. it. Um, and I've got, uh, right now, I'm trying to decommission a older box from 2013 and replace it with a newer-ish box with twice the memory, twice the CPU power, um, and half the age. Uh, I think this this machine, ThinkCenter Mini, uh, was minted around 2018, 2019, maybe 2020? I can't remember, actually. But it's, it's way younger um, and will use about half of the wattage as well. So... Uh, I guess technically it'll save me money in the long run, but the the I tasked Dan with sell me on Proxmox because if you can't do that, then I'm just gonna put EXXI back on it and migrate and not think about it again for the next four years. So you should be able to do all that. Whatever you're doing over there, you should be able to do. Okay, um, I like the I like. Okay, so you started off on the right foot. I like it already. It's QEMU, so I mean, you know, it's a it's a virtualization platform you're probably somewhat familiar with at least i like that too because um, it's free and open source software exactly and so it'll it'll take it'll accept you know you know you can convert images from one format to another and i mean that stuff's out there too so you can import your your os image or you can you know isos are easy to you know download actually right in the gui which i i like this is one of the things that no way me really on it yeah, really? so you can go into where your ISO storage is and you can say download from, you know, URL and you can drop in the, the CD image.ubuntu.com, whatever, and huh. it will download it automatically for you. And it'll do the checksum and all that stuff for you too. Cause there's an advanced box that you can check and you just drop in the, the, um, the, the sum and it'll, huh. it'll, it'll check it. When it, when it gets downloaded. Okay, that's, this is right two things. Two things already. Haven't even done anything yet. I know. All we did is download yeah. ISOs. <laughs> exactly, right. So so you're telling me I can I can convert and import. Uh, yep. I have converted um, things from and to QCAL before, so that, that's not really you, much of an issue. You're good there. Yep. But you can, you can convert and spin it up uh, yep. quickly. All right. Strike one. You can download ISOs directly from the web interface. That's strike two. And that that is it's got to be actually. I needed to uh, I needed to have a CentOS eight stream box up and running, independent of the CentOS episode. Had nothing to do with mm -hmm. that. Uh, yeah. This was for work, so that I can do uh, some testing and mm -hmm. retesting and retesting of stuff. But I had to spin that up, and the process of getting the ISO, I'm reminded of it every now and then when I have mm. to set something up. Usually it's just off of one Ubuntu disk and I only have to do it once. But this time you got to download the disk, which is yeah. uh, fine. That's easy. But then you got to log into the ESXi interface, yep. right? Because you're not running um, uh, vCenter or anything like that. You don't, you don't have cool tools. You just have the one license, right? So you log into the thing, go to the data store, uh, create a folder in that folder, click on the upload, find the ISO, yeah. upload the ISO, and then, and then you got it good. And then whenever you create a VM, you got to make sure to you know, go yeah, backwards and yeah. point at that ISO, right? That's kind of annoying. Yes. This shouldn't even be... Like a point in Proxamox's 
like corner here, but it is. It seems trivial, but it is great. And so I so like I, I, I'll, I'll admit. So like I tested out XCPNG before this. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to go that route. Right. But I found that that like it was super annoying there uh, as well. I had to create a whole NFS share that I could oh. upload my ISOs to that I could then use. And this is like way easier. This is Ew. just there's you you set aside like some of your storage and you could say oh this one's going to hold isos this one's going to hold you know mm-hmm. vm images this one's in and so then when you click on the iso thing yeah there it is right there you can just download right there i'm like cool oh, that's nice i don't even have to download upload because that's okay. the other thing it just seems inefficient right i like it i like it already so that's two two points so that's great all that's right in the gui all that's right in the thing Three will get me to at least try it on this box before I put ESXi on it. Here's number three. And I know you probably haven't messed with these too much, but it, it does LXC containers, not in addition to VMs. So you right. can just use a container and a container image, and which is a system container, not, a, not an application container like Docker. Okay. okay. So, so, it, it's so it's like a super slim Linux. Yeah. That that runs kind of sort of as a VM, sort of, right? Ish. Um, that you install applications into. So so think about it like the resources that it needs are... Slim. Probably going to be a lot less, right? So you yeah. can run a lot more of these than you can um, VMs. And when you're running them on these little one liter machines that don't have a whole lot of horsepower, just little i5, yeah. i7, you know, almost laptop-ish, you know, CPUs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't have a lot to give, so having a, a something that's trimmed down a little bit is is a good way to go. Right, right. And yeah. some of the some of the system containers that you can get that you can download are kind of I'll say like almost like you've used Diapi or something like that. No, it's like a choose your own adventure style. It's a it's a Ncurses um system container, if you will, that that you you select the thing that you're trying to you know install or whatever. Right. It downloads that and then it asks you a few questions and you sets you up and then you're off to the races. Yeah, yeah, right. Because like, because uh, I'm thinking like DietPie, right? They mm-hmm. have a uh, they have like a Nextcloud thing. Yep. You just click yep. on the next and it like it goes through. Okay, so the real question then is, how easy is it for me to back up an LXC container? Because like in Docker. All the volumes and stuff that I that I define in a Docker Compose, I just make sure that's all backed up, and then I just set it up again on a new machine, and which takes no time. Um, mm-hmm. So, well, what am I looking at for LXC? What what am I up against? Uh, there's probably a few ways. So, if if like right in the GUI, um, you can actually do a clone, uh, just like you can a VM, right? And really? so you, I so I could just have a clone, like a backup copy of that, just sitting. Yeah, if you, needed, if you needed to, wanted to, yeah, sure. Um, well, that's that's it. Like, oh, you—that's the thing. I, that's all I need. I, if I have a file or a folder, targz or something like that, of what I need to just splat that back into Proxmox and then turn it back on, that but, is the backup, right? And so LXC is a little more all-encompassing, where it's where it's an OS container essentially yeah. that that you can configure to. Okay, right, well, right, right. But it shares, so it's it's a system container in that it still shares some of the other host uh, resources, right? Rather than spinning up a whole entire VM, 
Exactly. So you're still getting the benefit of the the lesser resource usage. Right. So, and, well, you know, you could do all the network foo and stuff, you know, obviously you can bridge networks and, and all of that jazz too. So it, it does a lot of different things. So for me, that <sighs> was one of the things that sold me on Proxmox as it does that right out of the gate. You don't need to yeah. spin up a VM to do your containers. You could do little containers right there in the GUI and, you know, shuffle them around if you need to. You're making it real hard. The container thing and like the diet pie like way. Yeah, the containers that are available that you can download, the container images that it it lets you download or there's a lot of them. It's almost endless. <laughs> yeah. Ah, um, okay. All right. All right. All right. So you were successful. Nice. Um, I think it's you worth have a convinced shot. me to install it before I get rid of my ESXi box and then just try it. Uh, I want to. I have a very low impact. I don't care if it explodes VM that I probably will move over first. Um, mm -hmm. Full disclosure: that is the um, Unify Wireless oh, yeah. Controller app. Yep, I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, it's on a super slim VM. It's got like five, twelve megs of RAM and one core, and you know, like fifteen gigs of storage. It's nothing, just about. And if it exploded, no big deal. I I, I can install it again on a fresh box and adopt and, and it's fine. But yeah. um I've restored that one from backup before too. So I am I'm familiar with that as being an easy process. So that'll be my converter. Mm -hmm. Uh I'll I'll put that one on Proxmox and we'll just see what happens. And if I like it, I'll stay. If I don't, I will come back and tell you all of the gory details and uh, explain why I'm still on ESXi. But and hate me forever. I know I get it. Yeah, I will give Proxmox a fair shake. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So I'll have more adventures here, obviously, as I uh, progress in my little home lab experiment. Um, but I'm having fun so far. And that's what matters. Hey, while we got you distracted, head on over to YouTube. Hit subscribe. Ding the bell. You can watch our face. And if you also like to watch our face, you can do that on Tilvids. You catch all the history, sh you know, bits, because Leo cut those out, post them up on Tilvids. That's and right. And then uh, you get the condensed version. You know, if you really love us, you can head on over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Linux user space. Make the show go a little further. It might be endless. But there was always a beginning. And for them, it all started with a question way back in 2010. How do the next billion people entering the modern economy get access to computing? A hard one to be sure, especially when cost is such a critical factor. This question is what Matt Dalio set out to answer. Desktops. As it turns out, in Endless's case, to go forward, a step back is all that's necessary. In a time when desktops in the established market were giving way to laptops, and laptops were giving way to tablets, most people in emerging markets in India, China, and the Americas couldn't get their hands on many of those devices. If 2010 was the year of the Endless idea, then 2011 was the year that it died. At least, it was supposed to. 
In his next journey, Matt set out to discover the reasons the idea, the desktops, and whatever comes after, wouldn't work. And after a few months of traveling to support a foregone conclusion, Matt concluded that it could actually work. But it would be a long shot. China, India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Thailand. Computers may not be ubiquitous, but TVs were. Cable and satellite set-top boxes were, too, and those were computers, without the usual software, after all. What was missing was a keyboard, a mouse, and Endless. To carry out the vision, Endless Mobile Inc. was founded, and the groundwork was laid to start working on bringing computing to people who hadn't had any or enough access before. Matt Dalio, Whitney Clark, Marcelo Sampaio, and Nurisi Sanchez. This was the team on the first day of the rest of Endless, set on May 14th, 2012. The rest of 2012 was dedicated to building software for already existing technology, like cable and satellite set-top boxes using Android, and attempting to turn it all into a desktop operating system. There were successes, of course, and setbacks too. But more and more, the limitations in Android and in the hardware kept showing up. And eventually, reluctantly, the team trashed the idea of Android as a desktop and almost all of the hardware too. The feedback gathered, lessons learned, and the prototype all survived to inform the next steps Endless would take. In 2013, Endless got the opportunity to beta test their software with a little under 1,000 volunteers in Brazil. Between this and many talks with folks within the free software community caused another upset, another trashing of the assets, and a start from almost scratch. This time with Linux and GNOME 3 as the chosen stack a choice that remains in place today. Version 1.1, 1.2, and 1.3 were all released within the year. The releases seem to follow semantic versioning. The first number is the major version that would likely be incompatible with previous versions. The second number is a minor version that won't break compatibility, but usually includes additional functionality. And the third number is a patch number, reserved for backward compatible bug fixes. Later in the year, we learned that user interest was there, but also the investor interest was obviously there too. An opportunity arose. 100,000 computers just waiting for Endless's software. But the team had to stop and reconsider. The offer was for Endless, the software, and would require Endless, the company, to become just another service company. No more hardware tinkering, and the mission would end. Instead, Endless doubled down. It's time to make software and the hardware to go with it. And within a couple of months, Echo, the newest Endless prototype, made its way into classrooms in Guatemala. Some hardware lessons were learned. From fried SD cards to busted units, it was clear. When it worked, it worked well. 
But when it didn't, well, it didn't. In 2024, internally anyway, Endless 2 had released. But focus was split with hardware as well. Something was brewing. And it turned out to be pretty big for the startup. Endless OS versions 1.4, 2.0, and 2.1 were all released this year. Endless began a Kickstarter on April 14th, 2015 to fund the Endless PC, an Intel Celeron-based device whose aesthetics said if aliens were able to extract the essence of an iBook G3 and then made an affordable PC with it, yeah. The tier that got you an endless PC was set at $169. It would require a keyboard, mouse, and monitor. But the real goodies would be pre-packed on the internal 32-gig disk. Add $20 more for Wi-Fi. An option with a 500-gig disk and Wi-Fi was also available at $229. All at around 29 watts. The $100,000 Kickstarter hit 25% of its goal within a few hours, 50% within a day, and 100% of its goal in less than a week. When it closed on May 15th, Endless had taken in $176,000 from over 1,000 backers. Computers started shipping in late June of that year. Endless OS version 2.2 and 2.3 were also released this year. In January 2016, Endless showed off another product, the Endless Mini. Like its bigger brother, Endless, but it came with an AM Logic S805 ARM processor instead. It had an $80 and a $100 configuration. After the Kickstarter was done and all that new hardware was shipped out, a renewed focus on the desktop appeared and work toward version 3 of the desktop began. In August, Endless 3.0 was released and was the very first Linux distro to adopt Flatpak for apps and have it configured for use out of the box. It shipped with GNOME 3.20, a new app center, and dropped 32-bit support. In September, 3.0.3 is the first release for public download. Prior to this, everything was pretty much just internal only or on hardware only. Then in October, Netflix and Flash were broken. Google took out crucial bits from the browser that allowed this to work out of the box, but luckily, putting those bits back wasn't too hard if you were technically inclined. But if you weren't, e. In 2017, January, Endless Mission 1 and Mini are released. The Mission 1 was priced at $249 and was originally sold in the US only. With a Celeron processor, 2 gigs of RAM, a 500 gig disk, and wireless connectivity, it would certainly suffice as a learning machine. Its wood finish looked pretty cool, too. The Mini, priced at $130, came with a Cortex-A5 processor, 2 gigs of RAM, and a 64-gig solid-state drive. In January, 3.1 is released, with a focus on better accessibility, theming, and pushing for flat-pack improvements. In March, 
3 is released with bug fixes, of course, but the interesting bit here is that ISOs are now available for the first time. Anybody can now grab one and spin up their own endless OS in true distro hopper fashion. 3.2 released in July, and it brought better search and a refreshed desktop, passwordless login by default for ease of use. And 3.3 in October had a few bugs that 3.3.5 released in December fixed and brought a multi-language picker while typing in a password. In 2018, 3.4 was released in May, which added limited data plan configurations, good for where internet is spotty, better updating, and a companion app for Android. It also added Adblock Plus to Chromium by default, a personal fave decision. Mm -hmm. In November, 3.5 is released, but was then quickly withdrawn because of a bug in the software that would reclaim an auto-configured swap from disks larger than 100 gigs. It left users stranded at a grub prompt upon reboot. However, it did bring with it the ability to create a portable endless USB, and getting updates through the App Center for those is pretty trivial. Later in November, 3.5.1 is released with a fix for the swap issue, among a laundry list of others. Early 2019, the original version of Hack, now named Hack 1, was released to teach kids how to code using built-in games and content called Quests. This original version was Pay-As-You-Go. After a free trial, the new content added to Hack would require a paid subscription. Later in 2019, Endless launched the Hack Key, which allowed portable use of Hack on almost any computer, as long as that computer had a 1080p screen. In June, 3.6 is released with Podman support to run Docker-compatible containers. It also fixed an issue when installing Flatpaks because it temporarily needed twice the amount of space as the files downloaded to one place and then copied to another. In October, 3.7 released with GNOME 3.34, AAC Codex built right in, color emoji support, and a ton of new hardware support thanks to the newer kernel. In November, Hack underwent some big changes. It became free and will now be added to all versions of Endless. New content was added through characters in-game. Ada had games. Stell had photo and 3D editing. Riley teaches you web design. Faber teaches maker stuff. And Saniel will teach operating system terminal tricks. Also, you no longer need a 1080p screen. On April 1st, and totally not a joke, Endless drops its for-profit status and becomes a not-for-profit. Endless says the move will allow it to place itself more strategically to help close the digital divide between the folks that have access to resources and those that don't. Later in April, 3.8 is released with GNOME 3.36. Better parental controls, which was started at Endless and made it to the wider GNOME ecosystem, and a pre-release for the Raspberry Pi 4. VM images for easy Endless in a box are available now for VirtualBox and VMware. In November, 3.9 is released with GNOME 3.38, and in this release, Hack and Friends 
go fully open source. In June, the endless laptop. Turns out it was a second time. But using the same idea as their previous hardware, but now in a laptop form factor. The idea is $1 a day to access it, and after 18 months, the laptop is yours to keep. Also this year, the Endless Key begins distribution, a 120-gigabyte small USB drive that gives the power of Endless anywhere. You can still create one yourself, of course. The zip download, though, is approximately 75 gigs. In November, 4.0 released, dubbed the Light Touch release. Still thinking in semantic versioning, there was never a 4.1, but there certainly was a 4.0.1. This is because 4, based on Debian, brought with it long-term support. Also, fast user switching, driverless printing, and the Pi 4 support we were waiting for. Exactly one year later, on November 22nd, 2022, 4.0.13 was released to fix some bugs and would be the last true bug fix release of the 4 series. In January of 2023, 5.0 released and adopted GNOME 41 on Wayland. It brought multi-touch gestures and a better multitasking overview. More and more apps are being dropped in the system side and installed with Flatpak instead. This time, Calculator, Shotwell, and Gedit, to name a few. Now, I know I said 4.0.13 was the last bug fix release, but I guess 4.0.14, released in February, fixed one bug. That is, if you consider being on old major versions of Linux distributions to be a bug. Users of Endless 4 can now upgrade to 5 with this release. Endless has funded and will continue to fund development of the tools that it uses. This includes GNOME and Flatpak development, and of course, FlatHub. But this makes a lot of sense, since folks like Nuritsi Sanchez and Robert McQueen had held or currently hold board positions in the GNOME Foundation. That includes a recent injection of $100,000 from Endless to be put to use at Flathub, announced by none other than Robert McQueen. You can catch all the great topics and news as they unfold on our subreddit or news channel on Discord. That's uh, linuxuserspace.show slash Discord or linuxuserspace.show slash Reddit. That's where you catch all the good stuff because. Uh, even today, even today, we put out new news articles right up till showtime. And they're like, they're constantly fighting to the death for mm -hmm. which ones make the topic episodes. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. So uh, I really do encourage you, if you just happen to, oh, don't go sign up for a Reddit account. You don't got to do that. You don't um, have to. Just, that, just, no. just talk to us on Discord if you're already there. But if you're already on Reddit, go sub to Linux User Space and help vote. The ones, uh, as we start getting more and more votes, the ones that bubble to the top are just going to be the ones that we talk about because mm -hmm. they happen to be the ones that y'all want to hear about. Exactly. An easy voting polling situation kind of thing going on. It really is. Yeah. And you could, if you want to reach out and communicate with us directly, we got Mastodon, Telegram, Matrix, all those great things. Twitter even. Still, I think that's still a thing sometimes when it works. 
And don't forget about Twitch. Uh, you, you catch us there live after this episode right here that you're listening to. The day after. The date tomorrow. Tomorrow as you're listening to this. Because exactly. I know you're listening to it on release day. So tomorrow you can listen to us, watch us, ah. interact with us live on Twitch. So normally, Dan, uh, this would be where we'd stick how it go. Um, but we ended up having a guest. I wanted to pick your brain, Dan, just generally about um, how Endless went before we get to that. Uh, and I'd like to add a, a, a couple of points as well. So just generally, how did Endless go? So it actually went really well, really, really well. I will obviously point out that Leo and I are probably not the, the target market here for, for this particular operating system, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, bend it a little bit and make it work for you because it has some cool things that are definitely catching on. It's heavy use of Flatpak. That's, that's, that's a great way to get your applications. That worked really, really well. Um, the update system, while unique, um, also worked just fine for me. I had a few that came through, not a lot, but a few that, uh, I, I just waited for them to come. I didn't even go out like uh, lots of times I'll go manually check them. I didn't on, on this one. I just waited for them to, to, to show up and the notification thing, hit the button and away it went and it just did it. So I didn't yep. even have to worry about it. Absolutely. From a experience, very solid, very solid. So, I mean, obviously if you're a power Linux person, it could be a little handcuffing for you potentially. But I think you have to go into it uh, thinking differently. That that's I, th I think that's a super important point, right? Because yep. uh, Endless OS uses OS Tree, which mm -hmm. basically kind of your hands off of that's anything that's idea. not really just user stuff, right? You know, if you're outside of home, there's a good chance OS Tree is what's handling everything out there, which means that you can't just go running around tinkering and stuff. Uh, you you might get it taken care of, but the next set of updates will likely overwrite whatever change you made. So, right. <laughs> so, other than your applications, they'll be there because they're flat packs. So, which that's awesome. That's the purpose. These mm -hmm. boxes are meant for folks that necess don't necessarily always have always on internet, which right. means that if the thing goes months without seeing the internet, it's fine. There's totally a Wikipedia fine. in there, man. Yeah, there is. <laughs> Packed with it. You heard in the history when I was talking about the endless key, I said it was 75 gigs. That's compressed, folks. That's compressed. The English image, the big one, the one that you can put on a machine and then just like send out into the wild, never to see mm -hmm. the internet again. Um, that was 18 gigs. Yeah. And then your your base one is a more normal, like three and a half gigs or something like that. But I installed uh, the big one just so you know. Oh, yeah, and I did too, right? <laughs> um, just so that I could, and it's right behind me. You might be able to see it. Yeah. But, um, you know, those apps, those are the only apps I could get to within the time that we had. Oh, a month I, and I is, don't know as you can get through all of them even. A month is not enough time -uh. to evaluate what Endless is because Endless is way more than just the desktop. It's way more than just GNOME with a few extensions. It is way more than that. It is an appliance that'll teach you just about anything that you would ever want to know. So, so you mentioned that, like, if you didn't have internet, 
like it could be a, a you know a great machine. But if you do have internet, I will tell you one of the greatest resources available is the endless website and the forums and all oh. of that stuff and the wiki that goes along with it. It is really impressive. Um, and it's well laid out, well written, um, visually appealing. So do check that out. Even if you don't run this operating system, I think you should, should go just kind of stare at that for a minute because it's, it's, it's well done. Well, I think one of the things that, that is a through line for everything endless was the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There, there has, there has always been somebody that has just really got an eye for what looks good. There's always been someone there guiding um, what Endless was going to eventually look like, and this is not just the operating system. I think GNOME looks good. I think the the yeah. uh, Endless plugins that are added, um, the additions that are added, the software that is added, that all looks good. But the hardware too. Like yeah. that weird little alien iBook yeah, G3 yeah, yeah. Mac thing. It's attractive looking. Still looked pretty good. I still kind of want one today. I might rip out the guts and put like Pi 4 guts in there now. But the 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 chassis was actually kind of good looking. I like it. Um but you know, I think for the same reason I like an iBook G3, right? Like Yeah, they were cool when they first came out. Yeah. Everything they were. was everything in that era that 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 early 2000s era was like translucent and colorful. I had an N64 controller that was neon green and you could see through oh, it. Yeah. Uh, I get the same vibes from <laughs> from the endless PC that I, I get from. I had the Xbox uh, 360 controller I know that was exactly like that. Exactly which one you're mm-hmm. talking about too. Yep. yep. So um anyway, uh just generally I think Endless is a fantastic thing. It's a good tool to give to someone that you want to have fewer distractions, you know, the yeah. internet distractions. Uh but you also want them to learn a whole heck of a lot. There is an encyclopedic amount of yeah. knowledge about so many topics just baked right into the operating system. Endless is less about the OS than it is about the things that it enables you to do the moment you hit the desktop, which is really just an app drawer so you can see all the stuff that you can do. So enough uh, about Endless from us, and we'll let you hear a little bit about Endless and a little bit about Cassidy from Cassidy. Hey there, Cassidy, and welcome to the show. You're actually the first guest we've had on since season one. Oh, wow. Kind of hard to get these things coordinated, and yeah. your appearance was no different. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for having me, yeah. Yeah, thank you for uh, for taking the time to sit down with us. I really, really appreciate that. For sure, yeah. Uh, so to avoid accusations of doxing, I didn't go too far back, but... Um, <laughs> To get to get to know you a little bit more, uh, I, I took a look at your resume or CV for everybody else around the world, right? Um, and it spans a lot of places that folks in the Linux community would know. Uh, System seventy six yes. as a um, so I was I was originally hired as a web developer and then moved into doing a UX architect. So a little bit of development and then uh, UX and uh, elementary OS as the chief experience officer. Yep. 
Yep, I helped uh, co-found Elementary Inc. and uh, did that for for a long time since before it was even a company. I was contributing to to Elementary. Yes, I, I'd followed you for quite a long time mm -hmm. uh, because the work that you and Danny put into Elementary OS has always kind of captured my the artistic side of what I like about a desktop. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, more currently, Endless OS bridging the gap between engineers and people that deploy the hardware and software that Endless creates. Yeah, exactly. Has the user experience always been your focus? Yeah, it's. I think it's one of those, like, I hear this from a lot of different people in different professions of, like, you looking back, you can see as a kid or, or you know, in maybe in junior high school, like, how it's it should be obvious in retrospect of, like, as a kid, I liked to design, uh, like, pretend menus for like my so i'm the youngest sibling uh, i'm the youngest of my siblings so i would like i would say it's uh, cj's cafe and i would like have a little menu and i'd design it and then like i was all about like oh well you have to you have to come in the room here and you start here and then i like make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or whatever it was and like looking back it's like oh i was doing like ux design for like a pretend restaurant as a kid and then like I think it became more formal, much more formal in uh, in college when I went to university and, and studied um, interactive digital studies. And then I had a UX internship, which was amazing to actually like dive full in. So I was kind of doing like web development as like, oh, well, that's what, you know, that's what I have to do. And I use computers. And so that, you know, that that's how I'll make money. And then over the years, like I shifted more and more into doing actual UX design and UX architecture. That is really cool. What is it about? Uh, what is it about that type of design that that kind of calls to you? I love like having an idea and like turning it into something, a, a product or a physical object or a digital object. To, like, like having an idea to solve a problem specifically. So it's, I always think of it like I recently got a three D printer, and it's the same kind of thing, but in the physical world. When you're like, yeah. oh, I have this idea, and I want like, I have a if if only I had this physical object that was this size and shape, it would solve this problem. It's the same thing with like with uh, digital UX. So, you know, you see something and it, this could be better. How can this be better? And you have to really understand the problem before you can solve the problem. Like you can't just say, well, clearly the solution is this and just do it. You have to actually understand what the actual problem is and then solve it. So like I've always loved that problem solving and creating, like turning things from an idea into something real. Um, so it's just kind of a combination of all those things. Yeah, and digging into the history of Endless OS, I think one one recurring theme is you put boots on ground and figure out what people actually mm. need out of an mm. operating system, and then yeah. you 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 make those changes so that there's the least amount of friction to getting the job done. Yeah, I think that's what's like really like refreshing and and kind of beautiful about Endless is we're not really. I guess it's a double edged sword. I'll get back to that, but like we're not really in the linux bubble in a lot of ways mm -hmm, like right. our users generally are not linux users or like aren't what you think of as a linux user and so like in a way it's really freeing because you don't have to think about well what are the linux nerds going to go talk about on reddit you know when we make this decision it's like no what is going to solve the user's problems and let's just do it and then we actually yeah do user testing and, and field studies and like look at people in the field doing things and just solve those problems the double-edged sword is like we do a lot of work within the Linux community that people don't realize we're doing. So behind the scenes, I don't want to take credit for like everything <laughs> going on in like GNOME and Flathub <laughs> and Flatpak worlds. But uh, today there was a really interesting announcement. 
brought yeah. on uh, yes. Flat Hub and like the future of Flat Hub. And you'll notice it was authored by Rob McQueen, who's the CEO of Endless OS Foundation and yes. also a major contributor to Flatpak or Flat. Yeah. And he's on the GNOME Foundation. And he's on the GNOME. He's a, he's the president of the GNOME board. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we're, we kind of have fingers in lots of different places in, in the open desktop space. And um, again, it's not like this, like nefarious controlling behind the scenes thing. It's like we care desperately about making a good product and for these, you know, thousands of people out there in the world using it. And so we're going to contribute upstream where it makes sense, where we can. And it makes it a better product, not just for us. It, it makes the impact, you know, wider than we could have as our own organization. Um, exactly. If we can make GNOME better and Flat Hub better. Like, it just makes it better for everybody. Yes, that was actually the uh, the the last article or the last thing that we were going to say about the history uh, is that particular article is $100,000 mm. uh, for, like, legal uh, purposes and just, you know, mm -hmm. keeping Flat Hub up and running day after day after day I, I forgot the figure but it was in the in the terabytes or something or, or probably it was it was massive 88.3 uh, yeah it's wow. per day right yes it's like yes yeah so you think about it that's you know that's uh app updates that's uh platform updates runtime updates that are going out to every user using effectively every user using flatpak because most people who use flatpak use flathub right right Anytime you get an update, especially if you have auto updates, like those have to come from a server somewhere, and those are coming from FlatHub servers, um, and for, you know it's the CDN. So thanks to everyone who has sponsored us there, and like, yeah, it, it, it's incredible. But that, like, to, to talking about that, um, you know, hundred thousand dollars from Endless Network, it's kind of this interesting like structure of, of organizations. So Endless Network is a it's a it's a, basically the umbrella organization for the Endless OS Foundation. Mm -hmm. So Endless Network also has other initiatives like teaching kids to code via games with um, something called Endless Studios. So that's not directly part of what Endless OS Foundation does, but we like we work with the other Endless people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of this cool, cool structure because we can really focus in at Endless OS Foundation on solving you know, really specific uh, problems. So a, a big thing we do is um, bridging the digital divide through educational tools. So yeah. Endless OS comes with a ton of offline capable content and stuff that a student can like use for self-guided learning. Uh, the idea being you can put this computer in front of a kid with no internet. It's a safe environment, but there's tons of stuff to do and learn and figure out and um, grow and, and develop all offline. Uh, I, I tried. I tried to click on everything. Uh, you can't. You can't get <laughs> there through is, it all. There's no. not enough time in, in even a month to get through all of that stuff. I, I played a lot with yeah. Hack, um, mm -hmm. which teaches mm -hmm. you, I think there's like four or five different uh, categories of stuff, like operating system knowledge, coding knowledge. Um, and each of the people in Hack will kind of take you on a learning journey of here yeah. are the things that you need to know. Uh, and it's all free. I, I think originally it wasn't, but it's all free now. Yeah, and it's all free and it's included on Endless OS. And uh, yeah, I haven't even gone through all, everything you can go through on that stuff. It's like, it is mind boggling. Yeah, much. definitely. Yeah. I mean, even thinking about like, um, you know, we have effectively snapshots of Wikipedia that are offline. Yep. And like, can you imagine all of Wikipedia and just like, you know how much time you can waste just sitting on Wikipedia, oh, yeah. right? It's like, it, what if that it, was all on your hard drive? Like, <laughs> exactly. But the idea being you totally can just um, 
Yeah, I, I came back from a, a, an on-site visit in uh, the rural U.S., and these students don't have internet at home. Mm-hmm. And so the idea being, like, you could take this computer from home, whether it was from your school or another organization, and, like, even though you don't have internet, you know, we think broadband's a solved problem even here in the U.S. It's like, right. no, Oh, it's not. not. It's not. But you can, you know, you can bring that device and those learning materials home and... It just like unlocks so much capability, even though it's not it's not like curriculum that's dictated by the school district or anything. It's just like knowledge. It's like having a library, an entire library on your hard drive just there yep. for you. And it's so useful. I got very big Microsoft Encarta vibes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, back, yeah. Back in the early 90s, I had Microsoft Encarta pop that disc in. I think there were like four or eight or there was a bunch. And I mean, everything you would click on was just, I mean, it was enthralling for me as a kid because it was a computer yeah, was. and I loved computers. Put a bunch of knowledge and information in front of somebody and, and they yep. can really learn a lot. Well, yep. even if it's not their primary, uh, you know, uh, learning tool, it is definitely a reference for them and, and it's something they can grow from. So, yeah. Well, when it doesn't have any internet, you don't have to worry about YouTube being a distraction. So maybe that's the that's <laughs> yeah. that's the school yeah. computer. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Well, and, and that's actually something that's cool is like, um, you know, we've worked on, you know, because not some people do have internet at home, and we still want endless OS to be useful to them. So mm-hmm. we've developed and shipped parental controls features in the OS, mm-hmm. uh, and those are actually upstreamed into GNOME now. So like, if you have a GNOME, any modern yes. GNOME distro you have parental controls there that was developed by endless for endless os and we're like let's not keep that to ourselves like let's give that out that there's other people using other distros that run gnome that could totally benefit from this so that's like that's that's kind of our model that we try to do is you know obviously we're solving a problem that we we have found out in the world and we're we're shipping an os because that's the easiest way to like directly solve problems but it doesn't mean we have to hold all that to ourselves we we definitely want Basically, we're successful if, if if everybody else can solve the same problems we're solving, then we see ourselves as being successful. Yep, a hundred percent. And and I really enjoy the way that uh, that Endless has gone about that. It's it's not keeping it to yourself. It's giving back to the wider community, not not just in code, but in uh, in money as well as we saw. Um, Endless seems to me to be kind of the the example to look up to as how you should behave as a open source or a Linux first kind of company. It's refreshing to see. It's yeah. refreshing. Yeah. It's refreshing to like be involved in that. And um, it's always nice to, to hear when other people like see that. Cause I think, I think for a long time, endless has been doing that like for a decade, endless has been doing that behind the scenes and kind of nobody knew about it. So it's kind of fun to be like, Hey, we're on a podcast to like tell the world like what we're doing. Um, and I think I think people will hear a lot more of Endless too as we continue to work on, especially like UX testing on GNOME, um, some of like the the offline or and you know disconnected um, technology that we can do. Like there's there's lots of initiatives throughout GNOME that are are really interesting that we're definitely uh, going to be involved in. Yeah, I think uh, I think the news cycle really caught up with Endless Five. Yeah, I think part of that too is um, up until Endless OS five, the the desktop was pretty different from upstream GNOME. So we shipped like a like a taskbar type thing at the bottom of the screen, uh-huh. the grid of apps on the on the home screen, mm-hmm. and like when you first looked at it, you might not even know that it was based on GNOME. Uh, whereas, so part of our work for the GNOME forty cycle, and I was like four versions ago in GNOME, yeah. but part of the work that Endless did for the GNOME forty cycle is that we uh, 
we commissioned some user testing and then also had some of our designers and developers like working with the GNOME team on identifying problems with the current GNOME design. And so then with GNOME 40, there was, you know, that big redesign of, of the desktop. Mm-hmm. And it, like for such a big redesign, it was received really well <laughs> by most right. people, which is really cool. Uh, and, and again, don't want to take like sole credit. Like, and there were lots of people, there were people from purism and people from just the GNOME community working on it. But like a lot of that was from Endless's involvement in the user testing side. Uh, and so now you'll notice with Endless OS 5, it's much closer to the GNOME 40 and, and beyond yeah, look. Like it it's, is. there's still like a couple kind of fundamental differences, but we're working over time to say, okay, can we solve this upstream in GNOME? And then maybe we can drop it from our, you know, custom shell. Well, I've noticed a couple of things too. Like you mentioned it even, uh, you know, the grid style, um, you know, right there greets you basically. And Mm -hmm. and that is not what you would normally get in in the GNOME environment. And I I would say that experience is probably for a reason. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's some of it's a difference of like target user. Right. Um, Something we constantly hear from the endless side with our users is, the more like a smartphone it can be, the better it is, the easier it is for them to use. And that's that's two-sided as well. Like you don't want to dumb down the desktop so much that it's not useful. So our approach has been make it when you first get on the computer, make it look like, oh yeah, that's a computer or that's a that's like my smartphone. I know how to use it. But then also demonstrate, hey, there are reasons that a real computer is much more powerful than a smartphone yeah. or even something like a Chromebook where you can have real apps that are real productivity apps that Mm -hmm. you have real window management, you know, all of these things that you kind of ease the user into, but you kind of, you got to catch them first with that. Like, yeah, it's as easy to use as your iPhone or your Android phone. That's huge. When you first log in hitting you with the apps, um, that, that really does give that vibe. Um, I noticed the you you were talking about uh, apps that really only kind of work on a desktop. And uh, I realized that really quickly when I clicked on the budget, app thing that's more of a launcher mm. that takes you into yeah. templates that are yeah uh that that open up in LibreOffice. yeah and, the LibreOffice. yeah right uh yeah there was a resume builder too that was yes. like mm-hmm. the same sort of thing yeah one of the cool stories from from endless is uh we have a contractor who actually used endless os before he started working for us and he built his resume for applying to endless is in the resume builder on Endless OS. So it's just like, nice. it's always cool to be like, hey, it's actually like, not only is it used in the wild, like we knew that people were using it in the wild, but like we saw the end result of that. It's like, oh, oh, cool. That's really cool. Was that a bit of a HR hack? Like if you use the resume builder, it gets to the top of the, to <laughs> the top of the, the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think we even knew that, that um, he had used that app until he had started it. He's like, oh yeah, I, I totally just built it in the resume builder. It's like, oh, Oh, that's awesome. That is yep. awesome. Yeah. So I had another question um, because yeah. Endless is different. It's based on Debian, but, you know, loosely, I guess you could say, uh, mm-hmm. because Endless uses something called OS Tree. Yeah. Um, why is that so important to the reliability of Endless? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's another one of those fun things that people don't realize, I think, is like we were... I think the first, if not among the very first, like I was wondering the same yeah. <laughs> image based operating system, Linux based operating mm-hmm. systems that were image based. You know, we made an early bet on OS tree and then similarly with Flatpak. Um, that worked out well. 
Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw that a, a real problem, um, you know, with not just Linux, but really any operating system is it needs to be rock solid, reliable, and especially in environments where you don't have reliable internet. You know, if you download a 20 gigabyte update to your OS and it stops three quarters of the way through and you pay per megabyte, mm-hmm. like that is catastrophic. Like, yes. <laughs> and so we needed to make sure it was as bulletproof as possible, as reliable as possible. And OS tree solves that for us. It, it does an image based update. So but under the hood, like on the, on the server side where that we build it, it's, it's an, it's a Debian operating system with Debian packages. And we say, okay, pull in the latest Debian version straight from Debian. But then it basically, uh, packages it up as an OS tree image. It says, okay, here's the here's the version the user's on and here's the new version. What's the diff between the two? And then it only downloads the diff. And then if it fails for any reason, it just doesn't matter. It can resume where it was or uh, at least, you know, if they don't reboot into a broken broken system. Right. And then when it is finished downloading, all you have to do is reboot the computer. And it's it's actually really similar to how like Android on a Pixel works these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a few other devices, but where it does like the AB p- partition sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If the update's successful, and then you reboot, if you like successfully boot up, then you're good. If for some reason, for some unforeseen reason, it wouldn't boot up, it would just automatically boot back into your previous version. Yep. So it's yep. it's really robust in that way. And so when you have people, you know, who aren't tech tech savvy people. When you have people who aren't connected to the internet, so they couldn't really connect to us and say that they need help. And we have people who are in even like remote places in the world where there's not uh, reliable electricity, let alone internet. Uh, It's hard to get a person on the ground to help them out. So we have deployments in, I mean, various places in uh, Africa and Asia and South America and like fairly remote places where um, there's just no way to get a human on the ground. Yeah reliably so yeah and i imagine finding someone with an endless key in their pocket probably pretty hard down there (laughs) right yeah exactly and you know luckily we do work with some organizations that have great like tech people who are on the ground and can can do that sort of work if needed but but really it needs to be i mean that's that's the big reason behind it is it needs it needs to be as reliable as possible for people who just need it to to work um more like an appliance you just turn it on and it works yes you turn it off when you're done yep and, you know, I, it's it's funny because it's like so, several of the things I feel like I've said are, are things that would be controversial in the Linux desktop space. But like at the same time, it's all open source and it's your system and you can get into that to that operating system and do things like we ship a terminal out of the box, even though it's like relatively like locked down mm-hmm. uh, for sure. reliability reasons. So it's it's funny. It's because it's. It's like, oh, I don't want my Linux computer to be an appliance. You know, that's the TiVoization of Linux, right? Is like, right, right. But it's it, it, it's it's distinct from that. It's it's hard to like separate it. It's it has to be as reliable as an appliance like that. But also fundamentally, it's all open source, and you still own your computer and your device. Right, and and I know uh, Endless has been compared to set top boxes a whole heck of mm. a lot. So yeah, if they break, they're gonna stay broken, and this is the way around that. Like if the software on your computer doesn't boot and you have never used a computer before, as far as you're concerned, that computer is broken and it's garbage. Like, you know, whereas as a technical user, it's like, oh, well, I could maybe reflash the OS or whatever. It's like, no, if the if it's not, if it doesn't boot up every time when you turn that when you hit that power button, it may as well be a piece of garbage and it has to be reliable. But it's also like a really cool time in the desktop space to be to have that sort of like image based OS. 
because we have technologies like Flatpak that mm -hmm. you can get pretty much any app these days on top of your OS and it just works. But also things like Toolbox. Um, yep. So Fedora, Silverblue, I'm not sure if it originated within the Fedora world or how where it came from exactly, but Toolbox is amazing. I use it on my endless OS machine for development. So I can actually pull down the latest, you know, Fedora 37 image. And in my terminal on the endless OS, I have a Fedora toolbox and I can build things with the latest GNOME and GTK stuff, but it's on endless OS. So like yep. this whole container, you know, I'm, I'm not like super familiar with like Kubernetes and, and Docker and like all those things. Sure. But the, how, how we've gotten it onto the desktop where you can just say, go into a toolbox and now I'm in an, a wide open Fedora environment right. or Debian or whatever. Uh, it makes it really powerful to have that like super stable baseline OS with all your developer tools on top. Yep, absolutely. And so it seems to me that uh, Endless OS has been this uh, sleeper distro <laughs> that has been driving overarching decisions in the Linux community for the longest time. <laughs> But now we're watching it. We're watching like, it proliferate now too. Yeah, we yeah. are. We're watching yeah, OS absolutely. tree happen everywhere. Um, and yeah, Wayland is as as well. They were seeing that atomic style uh, system in other places too, and and mm -hmm. becoming yeah. like the consumer. You know, put it in the consumer's hands so they don't have to worry about it with things like right. the Steam Deck and stuff. Yeah, and endless yeah. consumers have been uh, have been on OS tree for a while, so it's it's yeah, pretty tested. Yeah. It, it, I, I always laugh when I hear discussions of, of people, you know, on forums or on Reddit or wherever it is saying like, oh, well, it's nice for this theoretical experimental <laughs> thing like Fedora Silverblue, right. but you could never ship it. It's too early. And it's like, we've been shipping it for how many years now? <laughs> and the reason we ship it is because it's more reliable. It's more rock solid. So exactly. Yeah, it's always I, fun I, to hear outside perspectives. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I, I think some folks just have this, uh, I need to be able to touch every single file on my system. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there is no compromise, which is, yeah, I, yeah. I think why you get this aversion to OS tree, but I'm all sure, for it. Yeah. The, the machine that I'm on right now, I don't need it to change like ever. Um, and mm -hmm. if I do run updates, I need it to continue to work afterwards. So right, where you yeah. have that A-B situation where if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, it rolls me back. That's right. beautiful. That's all I yep. need in a, in a workstation like what I'm on right now. Are there any other things that, uh, that just excite you about Endless in general or about uh, UX design coming up in the year or maybe next couple of years? Oh, man. Oh, that's quite the broad question. Um, let's see. <laughs> let's pick it apart a little bit. So exciting things with Endless OS specifically. It's it's kind of adjacent to Endless OS, but it, it affects Endless OS, which is awesome. So I, I'm really thrilled to see all of the momentum behind FlatHub. And like, mm -hmm. um, you know, while I think it's extremely important that Flatpak as a technology is decentralized by its design, I think that's a key like piece of Flatpak. I think it's also extremely valuable to have a de facto, this is where you can get your apps. And so, you know, on Endless OS, we ship FlatHub enabled out of the box and have for quite a while now. And so seeing, you know, just having like over 2000 apps now available on FlatHub and, and having yeah. things like verified apps on FlatHub so you can know that the apps are coming from their actual developers. Like, that's really exciting to me. I think it's, we're kind of mm -hmm. at this like turning point a bit of like apps on Linux where, you know, we've had... Honestly, pi pretty pioneering things like uh, Elementary App Center in the past, um, have, like allowing people to get paid for their 
work, right. um, paid apps. But it, it feels like we're, we're at a point where it has ballooned to a scale that it hasn't been before. So yep. that's really exciting to me. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see all of that work shipping uh, later this year. I, I agree. I like uh, the, the verification thing is, is something super important to me. Uh, yep. Because one yeah. of my stances is, I don't care how the developer wants me to consume the software. I'm going to de- I'm going to take it that way. If it's mm-hmm. app image, that's fine. If it's flat pack, if it's I don't care. Uh, but first party first. And yeah. Uh, yeah, when when I can see a little check or something in FlatHub, that just makes my job of consuming software a little bit easier. And I really enjoy that. Yeah, definitely. And and it, it feels like this like promise that we've been on the cusp of for a long time is like mm-hmm. finally be, becoming true of like, oh, you actually can get tons of apps from tons of different people on any Linux distro that you're on. Like, yes. It, you know, it's really coming to a point where it has critical mass, which is really nice. Um, I get kind of along with that or, or next to that is um, all of the work that's been going into GNOME on the design side of things is really exciting. As like maybe tooting my horn a little bit because I've been involved on the GNOME design team as well. <laughs> but um, I'm still just like amazed, like every GNOME update is like, oh, that's so much better. Like mm, just yeah. when I think like, oh, oh it's, it's good enough. And it's like, no, it's so much better every time. And things like the Edweta platform, like that really excites me to see the really rapid innovation we're getting on like the toolkit side of things. Mm-hmm. So we're getting animations and fluidity and, and adaptability mm-hmm. in apps that we just haven't had before on the desktop. Um, and it's, they're really relatively easy to, to make those apps now. Um, things like Gnome Builder, like super awesome IDE. I never used to love IDEs. I thought they were way too complicated, but Gnome Builder kind of sold me. I'm like, it was simple mm-hmm. enough I could get used to it but powerful enough that I really saw the value in having a full integrated um, environment. Right. And it's really easy to build no maps in no builder. So like, I think all those pieces are coming together at the same time too. I think we're at this like really interesting crossroads moment in just like the Linux desktop in general. Looking at, uh, looking at windows and, and where, where they ended up taking off was, um, Developers, developers, developers. That was the that was the yeah, refrain yeah. from Steve Ballmer years yeah. and years ago. And after that stuff took root, having um having the IDE, having the the support that a developer would need, then you saw an explosion of just absolutely everything anybody could possibly conceive. And I see parallels yeah. now with that yeah. with GNOME Builder and GNOME and the ecosystem and Edweta and everything else how it's coming together quite nicely. Yeah, and, and I mean, you, you look then at maybe one of the next big computing kind of revolutions of like the smartphone, when it really blew up as far as uh, just yep. the usefulness of our smartphones was when, you know, iOS, when it first came out, uh, iPhone OS didn't have an app store at first. Right. When they had the app store where people could just really easily put their apps there, get them in front of users, like that's when that platform and the smartphone as we know it really blew up yeah it's it, there's there's interesting parallels i think in um both like focusing on developers needs and then also how to actually get the get their um their apps in the hands of people exactly yeah it's a really really exciting time and then i think like underneath all that too is also this like image-based os stuff which you know we've been doing an ls os for a long time but it's it's exciting to see like fedora as like yeah hey, yes. this silver blue thing's pretty cool like this os3 thing is pretty cool and um you know, even Ubuntu is working, they've been working on, you know, mm-hmm. snapping up like as much as they can of the OS and, and making an image-based OS, which whatever you think about Snap or whatever, but like 
the base idea makes a lot of sense to say yep. having yep. a really rock solid image based OS, ship your apps on top on a layer. Yeah, it's a it's a good time to be in Linux, I think. Yeah, it it really is. I was excited for Snapcore and all yep. of all of the Ubuntu core everything. Um, but it never really made it to the desktop. And then when Snap came out, I was like, all right, cool. This is a piece of it. I, I like it. I'll use it. And I do. Um, but I really would like to see what Ubuntu's answer to that would be. Um, a, a full Snap desktop. I, I think uh, we will. I, I'm excited for it. Whenever, yeah. it. whenever it decides to come out, uh, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I, I will love to try it. I think you look at how much investment they're putting into um, you know, Snap and the desktop right now. Like, I think it's inevitable we will we will have a a snap based desktop sooner or later. Yep, definitely. And I would like to see uh let's see what OS tree versus snap can do. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. see I mean, who rolls me back faster. That's that's gonna be the question. <laughs> hey, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, people people get hung up on, you know, this technology versus that technology. And mm-hmm. I it, it's hard for me because I while I see a ton of value in joining forces and saying, let's all just make this one thing, you know, beautiful utopia, make it all better. There's also like there's value in competition, right? Like mm-hmm. yes. I do think there are things about Snap that got better because of Flatpak. And I think there's things about Flatpak that got better because of Snap. And like having a bit of healthy competition, I think, is always good. Uh I think at some point, like, there's an inevitable like, okay, let's just like join forces on whatever piece it is. Uh, I guess in Flatpak and Snap, we see that with like the portals. Uh that was yep. something that was I think it was made for Flatpak. But it's now, it's not just a flat pack thing. It's not just a GTK thing. It works on KDE snaps. You know, it right. works everywhere where the design of an app needs to get per- explicit permission to use this hardware device. Or like you need to opt into saying, yes, this app can actually access this directory or this file. Yeah, that, that's a feature of iOS and, and Mac OS that I, I truly, absolutely love is yeah, no yeah. think things don't automatically have access to the stuff on your desktop that's amazing right. yeah. let me have that just because i trusted the developer enough to download their app doesn't mean i trust them with full access to everything exactly. on my computer so exactly so yeah it's so it's cool seeing that you know even though oh snap versus Flatpak, they're competing like we're also working together right like Mm-hmm. We're working together on these portals, and so Snap uses portals, and Flatpak uses portals, and mm-hmm. I think there's ways you can. Uh, I always like to use the term cooperation. So it's like hey, yeah, you can, like you can cooperate word. and compete at the same time, uh, and I think that's when some of these technologies can be at their healthiest is when you have that cooperation of like, yeah, yeah, we're all like we think we're the best, so we're all fighting each other, but we're also like at the same conferences in the same rooms, hacking on the same code together because we're yep. friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the the real key is to not trip each other up. Uh, help yeah, help yeah. where is needed, but don't don't actively trip each other up. No, sure. yeah. push push each other forward. Yeah, I absolutely enjoyed the conversation. I could probably just sit here and keep probing and and <laughs> yeah, listening for hours. For, yeah, forever. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, you know, if if uh, if you guys want me back at some point, let me know. If maybe when five point one or six OS six drops. Um, Love to come on and talk. Yeah, we'd right. love to have you again. That would be great. great. You can catch all the great links at linuxuserspace.show. And if you want to email us, because, you know, hey, we got a topic show coming up uh, next time. Bump uh, them up. You can, you can email us, contact at linuxuserspace.show. And if for some reason you don't have, like, an email client or you're just not logged into Gmail right now, uh, you can also go to the website. So, you know... Either or, 
send us stuff. I like I like reading his stuff. It's actually really, we really fun. Do. I enjoy we that. really love the topic shows, honestly, and we love doing the feedback. So next time. Woohoo. Oh, Dan. I don't know why I do this to us. Uh, this is all you, buddy, because um, we gotta, we're, we're going sold, berry picking. Like I sold you on Proxmox earlier. Uh, you sold me on this one. Ah, I, well, okay. I not I that it took it, a lot of convincing, but no. hey. well, the the <laughs> thing here is that almost everybody that is a nerd like me mm-hmm. has one of these in their mm-hmm. drawer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and I'm looking at you. People that have Raspberry Pis in their drawers and they're just collecting dust. We can do stuff with these. There's so much that you can do with them. Hey, by the way, if it's a Pi 4, you can put Endless on it. Uh, And it has so much value. Immediately so much value. Uh, You don't have to do the servery, tinkery things that I think me and Dan are probably going to do with it because we're extra big fat nerds. But, um, (laughs) you know... (laughs) But hey, this this OS will pretty much run on all of them, even in like desktop mode. Raspberry Pi OS, mm-hmm. also known as or previously known as Raspbian, the original. Yeah, right. Raspbian Classic, and then you got the new Raspbian, which is Raspberry Pi OS. Um, but I don't think there's any going back to Raspbian Classic, though. This time. I don't think so. I don't think you want to. No, no. You get that with Coke. You don't get that with Raspberry Pi OS. No, no, no. So we're going to dive into That's the history of do. that. Yep. We're going to install it. I have a Pi. Actually, what's funny about this is both Dan and I have, I think, the exact same Pi. This guy right here. The Pi right here. 3B little... Plus. Is that a yeah, plus? Yeah, 3B Plus. Yeah. Can- yep. Canakit. Job. Yeah, from, you know, the... from Canakit in that weird blue and yellow box that I love so very, very much. I yeah, don't know yeah. why I like that so much, but I, yeah, I, I do. Well done packaging. They always throw cool little goodies in there and stuff, mm-hmm. man. Little plastic boxes. Oh, here. yeah, it came uh, with the power supply, the whole bit. Yeah, yep. like all that stuff. Exactly. So we've we've both got a Pi 3B Plus that we're going to be playing around with, with Raspbian uh, over the month. And um, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll bring you the history where that all came from, uh, likely where it's going in the future. Hopefully that includes more Raspberry Pis in stores. Yeah, just I need stuff more. in stock. Yeah, I sadly, need... sadly, that's a thing right now. But yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I, I can tell you now that, yes, the history will hopefully m- meet out that uh, there will be more in stores. We're getting there. That's We're what getting they're saying. There. Supply, supply chain's fixed, man, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... Between now and then, though, stay tuned and tell us things on Reddit. Remember, upvote the stuff you want to see on the show. Uh, Twitter, of course, you can uh, you can tweet at us. Same with Mastodon, uh, Telegram, Matrix, and Discord. You can at us. Um, yeah, for sure. Both Dan and I are in all of those, so you can talk trash if you want to. Otherwise, uh, we can just talk Raspbian if you want. Yeah, yeah, we can. But however you do it. Join the conversation. All the links in the show notes. And of course, at linuxuserspace.show. So Dan, where can we find you when we're not directly listening to you on this show right now? You can find me at kc2bz at mastodon.social. Beautiful. And you can find me at Leo Chavez. 
I'm still on the Twitters. And uh, at Leo Chavez at Mastodon.social. Come back in two whole weeks for more Linux user space. Oh, I forgot to wave. <laughs> <laughs> You're all good. <laughs> uh, oh, well. Um, um, and, okay, so here was the tie-in. Uh, I went to Dallas. And then I gotta do something on my pie, if that's what we're doing. I have to. So, um, uh, so it turns out it was something totally stupid that was really the catalyst for this. Uh, I, went to, um, I went to Dallas last week. Uh, we, we ran by... Micro Center. I begrudgingly went to the Raspberry Pi section, not oh. knowing full well they didn't have Raspberry Pis. They they never do because they they still well, they get, they're like, working on that. Pi four hundreds. They got those. I, they do actually have a few of those every now and then. Yeah, because I've uh, seen those around in places. Right. Uh, I do go in and look for. They have mugs and shirts, but they mm-hmm. never have the shirt in my size. Uh, so speaking of a shirt. Uh huh. I got one. They finally had it nice. in my size. 